So, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Stutman, and today we have Jeff Siegel with us today, excuse me, and Jeff is the editor of Green Chip Stocks. That is a monthly newsletter, investment newsletter, about uh, renewable investing, mainly, and he's also the editor of Weekly Score, which is a weekly trading service uh, where Jeff leverages some swing trading strategies to make um, small gains uh, that compound over time. Uh, Jeff is an expert in the sustainable and renewable investing space, and uh, Jeff is uh, maybe best known for uh, his very, very early coverage of Tesla. Jeff, uh, I think we, there's a lot of people that kind of are, they use Tesla as like a, you know, a sounding board these days, and they're mm-hmm. all, they, they have, we have entire uh, channels about investing in Tesla, but uh, Jeff is definitely one of the people who was talking about this very, very early on. He didn't just hop on that bandwagon because it was a bandwagon. He... Uh, he knew about this company very, very early, and I think that's kind of a testament to his uh, his knowledge in this space. So we're going to be talking to Jeff today about some renewable energy uh, opportunities, and he's going to provide us with some valuable insight. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but first, a quick disclaimer. Um, nothing that we say here today should be taken as personal or individualized investment advice. Uh, we can give you the kind of the tools, the insight and the ideas that will help you become a better investor and help you make great investment decisions, but we can't make those decisions for you. Um, Also, if you enjoy the content of this video, please subscribe to the channel, like, and uh, comment, and let us know, uh, you know, anything that, um, anything that you want us to talk about in the future, anything that you uh, like about this video, anything you don't like. Uh, We're just getting the channel started, and, uh, you know, the more feedback we can get, the better we can make it. So, uh, welcome, Jeff, to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I think we could kind of start off with you uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the investment newsletter space, and then sure. uh, maybe like renewable ener- the renewable energy space in general, and what uh, excited you about what excites you about that space, and why should be yeah, why should our consumers be excited about it? So I started in the investment publishing business in the '90s, mid '90s. I worked with Brian Hicks at Agora many years ago. Um, I just kind of learned the learned the whole business from bottom up. I was an editorial assistant. I really just wanted to write, and I didn't know what I wanted to write. And the thing is, you come out of college, like, I'm going to write the great American novel. And then, you know, two months in, after graduation, you're like, oh, like, you don't get paid to do that. And I was, I was working at a, at a hotel as a bellman, and I, this job came up to be an editorial assistant. So I took it and discovered this, this new world that I didn't even know existed. I remember, like, walking into Agora one day, and this is before everything was online. So there were, like, newsletters piled up and books on the bookshelves that we sold, and and I'm looking around. I'm like, how is this a business? Like, who who buys this stuff, you know? And I didn't really know much about finance at the time. But I, within like six months, I was like blown away. Not just because of the finance. Because I still didn't really grasp investing at that time. Um, but what really excited me about it was there were these guys that were analysts. And people, thousands of people would read their newsletters. But it wasn't just about investing. It was like, it was bigger than that. It was about stuff that really, really spoke to me, personal sovereignty and just like independent thought. Uh, and it, I, I don't know, I've always been kind of like, I always had that kind of early like punk rock kid in me that just questioned everything and like, you know, hated the, you know, mainstream media and I thought everything was a lie. And it was just like, this is the perfect home for me. <laughs> and I was like fresh out of college, I was had fire. And uh, I was just fascinated by the whole thing. And I decided to learn the business. So I operations, uh, marketing, copywriting, and eventually became a, an editorial writer. Um, I really enjoyed it, but there was a point 
that I, I felt like I was just spinning my wheels a little bit. There were a lot of people that, that were a lot of editors at the time. It was kind of hard to find a niche, and I didn't really know what my niche was yet. I was kind of like, if they needed to farm something out, they would give it to me, which I was fine with at the time, with a special report or just do some research on any number of companies uh, that the, that the uh, more experienced editors were writing about. So um, I was still pretty young, and I decided I hadn't traveled enough le- yet. So I, I left that job, and I just took six years and traveled across the world and just wanted to educate myself, not going, I mean, I already went to college. I, I, I can read and things like that. I wanted to experience life, and that's what I did. Um, and then I came back six years later from this kind of whirlwind time, uh, and Brian had just started Angel, and he asked me if I wanted to come work for him. So the timing was really good. And my only consideration at the time was after traveling so much, I kind of had a new appreciation for environmentalism. Um, I've always been kind of a tree hugger. I've always embraced that. I've never run away from it. Um, I make no apologies for it. I don't think it makes sense to treat the planet like a toilet. Um, so, but there's always been this kind of idea that capitalism is at odds with environmentalism. And I, after traveling for that long period of time, I, I realized that's not true. I mean, the two can actually work together quite well. Um, and I would argue that the reason we have electric cars today and the reason solar panels are so cheap is because of this beautiful thing called capitalism that makes it possible. So I kind of pitched that to Brian and, and he went for it and uh, Greenship Stocks was born. And I started primarily uh, covering the renewable energy space. Um, timing was really good. This is right when solar was hitting and wind was hitting prior to oil prices going through the roof. Um, and I did a little bit in organic and sustainable agriculture because I saw something happening there. And then it just kind of blossomed into not just being about energy, but also aligning my investment strategy with my own personal ethics. Um, it, it's been called socially responsible investing. I don't really like that term because sure. it's very subjective. Like what I may think is socially responsible, you may not. And that's okay. Um, so when I started, people will say, well, how, how is it socially responsible? And I, I'm very transparent. I'm like, these are my values. You don't have to embrace them at all. But I can tell you that my values, you know, using my values as a part of my, um, my thesis, my investment thesis has led to people making a lot of money. Yeah, so, so it worked out. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting because there's a lot of people who uh, are like, they rally against capitalism uh, because they think, you know, certain businesses are bad. But the reality is that you can uh, you can make money and, you know, support companies that uh, kind of align with your goals uh, if you are making the decisions yourself. You know, if you're throwing all your money into an ETF, you probably own a lot of things that, that don't necessarily align with your ethical goals. But, uh, you know, you can do both of those things and accomplish them at the same well, time. It's funny you mentioned the ETFs because they're, they're not much, there's a lot of mutual funds out there that are, you know, ESG or re- socially responsible. What, and what is ESG? Uh, environmental social government governance okay. governance um, and which is actually a sound idea but then it kind of got co-opted by you know the hedge funds and Wall Street sure, like pretty much any social <laughs> movement you know, when people when people see that they could kind of like I guess prey on people's like uh, moral sensibilities yeah. uh, they want to brand things a certain way to to benefit them and I think that uh, you know we we kind of this is this is was a topical conversation that I guess like Elon Musk was recently like Tesla got kicked out of uh, the S and P. Was it their right. ESG fund or yeah. something? And I, I saw that you had some commentary on that. So oh, maybe. it was great. I mean, it was just it, when they try to justify it. 
It was clear. It was a, it was so clear. It was attack on Elon Musk. It was. It had nothing to do yeah. with because the bottom line is what, what did they what did they say um, made Tesla ineligible for the for the index. And it was like, well, there's this lawsuit about this guy who who said um, there were some racist incidents that caused him to leave the job. Mm. Not that, that that's not something that should be investigated, but it's like that has nothing to do with ESG. Uh, I, I think there was, um, uh, I think it was almost like a, <laughs> it was almost like they were attacking his tweets. You know yes. what I mean? Like he was saying things that they didn't like. Well, he's been overtly political and I think he's kind of put himself, like he's put a bullseye on his oh, own yeah. head by just being so political. But uh, I mean, what do you think about that with him being such like an outspoken CEO in terms of like for Tesla's, uh, is that good for Tesla? Is it bad for Tesla? I don't think it's either. Um, so when Tesla first came out, it was you know, primarily the left that just praised Elon Musk. I mean, they built shrines to this guy, basically, yeah. because let's be let's be honest, there would be no electric vehicle industry today if it wasn't for him. He basically lit a fire under the ass of all these, uh, you know, old guard uh, auto manufacturers. They wouldn't have done it without him. But once he put these cars out on the road and people saw them and realized these are technically superior, technologically superior vehicles, um, and people could actually use them and buy them and enjoy them. It changed everything. Sure. So it was interesting that when he, there were a lot in conservative media that really targeted him. I mean, I, I remember I don't I don't recall who did it, but it was one. It was a show that they had a. It wasn't even actually. You know what? It it wasn't Tesla. It was GM had the Chevy Volt at the time, which was like a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. So you get something like thirty miles on a charge, and then after that, the gas engine kicks in. So this guy who was doing a review of it drives through the Holland Tunnel, and you see the battery charge go to zero, but the gas engine kicks in, so it's fine. And the first thing he says is, what happens if you get stuck in the tunnel? And it's like, but you didn't because there's a gas engine. It was just yeah, the same thing can happen with a with a gas powered vehicle, obviously. Exactly, and and with Tesla, there was actually I think it was uh, Road and Track. Uh, there was a, a writer that did a um, a review of of the the Model S. And he took it out and he said the battery ran out and he had to get it towed. But Elon wasn't, Musk isn't stupid. Wasn't that Top Gear? Didn't Top, was it Top Gear? I, think Top I forgot Gear, yeah, who they, did it. They ran like a yeah. They like basically uh, fudged it and make it made it seem like the car yeah. was broken when really it wasn't. So. Well, that was the great thing because Musk had all this. He like there were like embedded chips in the vehicle that let you know exactly what's going on at all times. And they said we can prove to you that this didn't happen. And the guy, like, he didn't lose his job. Nothing happened. Yeah, so of course. it was very interesting that there was kind of like this movement against Elon Musk and Tesla when it first happened from a certain group of people that yes. didn't want change. But now Elon Musk comes out and he gets political and he gets a little loud and a little brash. And uh, it was very interesting when he came out and and was kind of eschewing this idea of, of mask mandates and, and vaccines and um, – it was just his opinion. I mean, I could care less what sure. your opinion is, but I guess when you run one of the biggest, most successful car companies in the world, everyone listens to every word you say. So all of a sudden, these people that really cared about the environment and wanted an electric car, him saying that it's not okay to have a mask mandate made having an electric car less worthy, I guess. It was yeah. really, well, really weird. I, I do. I definitely think that the kind of the flip, the political flip of kind of the, you know, conservatives bashing Elon to now conservatives loving Elon. Right. And, and then, you know, vice versa with with liberals was, is definitely interesting. And part of me like wonders, does Elon really like 
believe the things that he's saying or does he just know how to game the political like atmosphere or you know does he know how to like kind of just like say things that are going to rile people up people up and benefit him in his own way he he reminds me of a few people i know who happen to be extremely smart some people i went to college with um but they also have no social skills and i think that Elon Musk definitely lacks certain social skills, doesn't really get social, certain social cues. Yep. Um, and when left to his own devices, that could be a bad thing. Um, that being said, you know, you ha- no one's perfect. You, know, you may not agree with him politically, but he changed the world sure. for the better. Um, not just with Tesla, but with with SpaceX. I mean, he changed the game completely with the Boring Company, you know, and challenging people with the Hyperloop system. What's I mean, going on with the Boring Company, though? Is that like, for, for me, I, I feel like that's still kind of vaporware, or is that is that actually getting any anywhere close to, like, completion or being, like, a functional project? So the one in Vegas is almost done. Okay. Um, and I think there's a new one that they're going to do in Florida now, um, which I his political agenda may have helped that happen. Okay. Um so it's 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 happening. Um, it, it was funny when the Twitter thing came out, and uh, he said, "Oh, Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter," and it was. So, I don't ever remember ever a CEO coming out and saying, "I'm going to buy something," and then like millions of people are like, "I don't want anything to do with it." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, but he he's created. What do you think about that? Is that gonna ha- is that gonna happen or it's not no, gonna happen? No, it's not gonna happen. You don't think it's gonna happen? No, yeah. because I don't think. First of all, I think it was bullshit to begin with. Sure. Um, because why would he do that? I mean, I guess if you have that much money, you can play with it like that. But, um, but he, I think he brings up a really valid point too. He said, "Listen, you know, your your data is inaccurate. Yeah. And he's not a guy that that's gonna." miss anything when it comes to, to reading data. Yeah. Um, well, is he just saying that to knock down the price so he can get it cheaper? Or? It could be, but it's. I think it's legitimate, too, because there's no way. If you look at what Twitter said, the, yeah, the amount of people, wrong. it's got to be way off. Yeah. It'd be way off. So um, I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see it happening. Okay. So uh, while we're on the topic of Elon Musk, uh, are you still a fan of Tesla? I saw that maybe like a year or two ago you wrote an article. Um, obviously, you recommended Tesla early, but you mm-hmm. had basically said, you know, you still like the company, but you thought that it was overpriced. Right. Uh, Tesla has obviously been getting slammed over the last, uh, you know, probably three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think we're at, a, are we at a buying opportunity yet? Or how, what are your feelings on that stock? So Tesla was a grand slam, you know. You're never going to see that rise in share price that we saw right after we, rec- we recommended it sure. when it first went public. Um, I need a bigger bang for my buck. Yeah, that's, you know? that's fair. And I think, like, you know, all this, like, if you're following CNBC or, like, any of these, like, you know, Wall Street Journal, any kind of, like, mainstream financial outlet, you're always hearing about these stocks that are, you know, past their kind of, like, biggest growth potential. Right. Uh, and I, I do think that's kind of the, one of the values that we provide our readers is we're kind of talking about these things really, really early companies that are super obscure and aren't gaining the kind of like that clickbait attraction. They're not like, because, you know, these publishers are, they make money based on their advertisers, sure. right? Uh, we make money by giving good advice. So, um, I th- well, I think that goes beyond companies too. It's also industries that we can look at. So um, Keith Cole, one of my colleagues, was really one of the first guys to talk about uh, um, fracking, you know, before that that whole revolution took off. Um, 
you know, we, we got we were one really the first to to talk about cannabis. And even that, when I first started writing about cannabis, nothing had really happened yet. It wasn't legal yet in Canada. Sure. But I I took a trip to Canada. I met with, uh, well, not lawmakers directly, but their their people, you know. And I kind of saw the landscape and what was happening. And it was it's pretty obvious to me that that this was going to happen. And when I first wrote about it, it it just like Tesla, there was a lot of pushback. But the interesting thing about cannabis was there was pushback from um, the gatekeepers of the Internet. You know, well, you can't say the word marijuana. Yes. Well, you can't say the word cannabis. I, I do remember when this was first happening. We basically had some, like, cannabis reports, and we were trying to, like, get people to invest in this space. And it was we, it was really good timing. I mean, the cannabis stocks were blowing up after yeah. that fact. But we couldn't even get the message out to anyone who was outside of our existing like email list, right. because it was ba- it was bad to talk about drugs, which I think is really funny. Yeah, and it's and you know what's really interesting about that too is I've always been an advocate of legalization. I the whole idea of the state telling you what you can and can't put in your body is absurd to me. So. Um, and I, I really, truly believe that cannabis is medicine. Yes, I mean, people use it recreationally. I use it recreationally, and I use it medicinally. Um, and I have for a very long time. And I'm fine. I've been very successful in my life, and sure. it, you know, it hasn't slowed me down. You seem like you're doing just fine. I'm doing fine, yeah. So, um, so but what happened was with cannabis, when I first invested in that space, I did get a lot of questions from people saying, if you are trying to push this socially responsible investing narrative, why would you invest or suggest that we invest in cannabis stocks? This is a drug. Um, and to me, it was it was a bigger than that. It was the idea that if the if the industry got big enough, it's kind of like the banks. It would be too big to control. And that's what happened. Think about how many decades people have gone out to try to get signatures to petition Congress to legalize useless. So complete waste of time. But all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, let's say within the course of three to five years, you have an industry, nascent industry, to like move to like a multi-billion dollar industry inside of three to five years. All of a sudden it matters now. Yeah. The reality is that money talks. Money talks. And then the individual states and individual countries saw that, listen, we're broke. We need tax revenue. I really don't care why you you legalize it. But if that if that was the narrative that sold it, fine. That's what happened. So for me, it was it was bigger than just I see this as an opportunity to make some money. It was an opportunity to move the needle on legalization. And I, I maintain to this day that capitalism will always be, and I, I even have this as a tagline, capitalism to me it will always be a catalyst for positive change. It is the most important thing. Not just because, yeah, I mean, everybody wants to make money, but money moves mountains. Um, and it's good intentions are fine, okay? But I'm not going to work for good intentions. Nobody's going to work for good intentions. They work because they need to be compensated. And that's what happened with cannabis. It got so big that it, it became undeniable. You could, you could no longer keep the lid on it. Okay, so speaking of legalization and uh, you know, things that may be undeniable, uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about the psychedelic space because I know that you, you're a little bit involved here. Um, I, I recently invested in a company called MindMed, mm-hmm. um, and I got, kind of, uh, I got slammed on that one because a lot of you know, the three, you know, past three months, four months, uh, you know, speculative investments have been getting wrecked, right. and these guys are uh, developing you know, uh, psychedelic medication for, um, you know, for depression and anxiety and things mm-hmm. of that nature. What's your opinions on the psychedelic space, and then are there any, you know, any companies that you're looking at right now and sharing with your readers? Or Yeah, so the first question I have for you, Jason, is why didn't you buy MindMed when I recommended it at 25 cents? 
Um, and then I, sell I was, it when it hit $5. I was a little bit, I was a little <laughs> bit late. You know, I, there's a lot of newsletters around here, and I probably wasn't – I didn't even catch your recommendation. I'm just messing with you. I'm just messing with you. No, it's, um, it's similar to what happened with cannabis too. There was like this big boom because yeah. everyone saw the possibility, and then – the early investors just cashed out. Yeah, I was, can't I was up on that at some point, like significantly up. And then it was just like people yeah. were like, nope, want, they want nothing to do with it. They, they only want, you know, companies that are making money right now and, have, you know. Well, I mean, psychedelics companies, for the most part, they're biotech companies. That's all they are. Yep. It's just different molecules. And um, any biotech is like that. You know, if you invest in a, an early stage biotech company that's just doing, you know, phase one clinical trials, it's going to be 10 years before you see a payout if you see a payout. Sure. It's definitely very speculative. And I've been very upfront and transparent about that. Um, but I do believe that this medicine is very important. I do believe that psychedelics represent the next evolution of, of mental health treatment. Um, there's just beyond the anecdotal data. We have real FDA data. You know, phase one, phase two, even phase three. There's most recent was a phase three clinical trial for MDA for um, PTSD. Uh, I think it was just just for veterans, but PTSD will also like the the biggest, the largest percentage of people with PTSD in this country. Um, th- they come from uh, sexual assault. Okay. So it's not it's not veterans, but selling it to because of veterans is a much easier sell. Sure. I mean, I don't say that to be brash or anything, but, but but it's true. Sure. Um, but the, the 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 research we're seeing at Johns Hopkins at Columbia is mind blowing. Um, you know, with PTSD, anxiety, uh, depression. One of the things that I'm really fascinated by is um, using psychedelics to uh, treat um, addiction. So, in 2018, Hopkins, Johns Hopkins did a study, the first study using uh, psilocybin, which is the the chemical in, in magic mushrooms that makes you hallucinate. Uh, so it was psilocybin uh, you, with with therapy with therapists in the room, and they did this for smoking cessation. And after they completed the the the, the trial, six months later, eighty percent of the people that took part were still not smoking. So the one FDA approved um, smoking cessation drug that's on the market today, it has a success rate of thirty six percent with a lot of side effects. This is 80% with zero side effects, and it was one treatment. Now, it's a long day. It's a full day of treatment, but it's one treatment. And they followed up a year later, and I think it was down to about 72%, which is still mind-blowing. Even if it's let's – say, let's say the baseline is 36%. If you can move that to 38%, you won. Yep. Um, so they're, they're doing the second part of – the, the second – part of that study now. Um, there's a really fascinating... Is this a, sorry, is this a public investing opportunity or... This is, is this... not. Okay. Um, there is a... So there is a, a molecule called uh, ibogaine. Um, comes from the uh, iboga plant in Africa and has been used to treat addiction. And what it, when I say treat addiction, essentially what happens is, let's say you're addicted to heroin and you use uh, a, a boga uh, to, to get off heroin. It's not something you just take. You have to go be in a clinical setting, there are doctors there because it, it could have some side effects. Sure. Has some, uh, so they're combining this with therapy. Yes, absolutely. Um, and this one place down in Mexico uh, that's been doing this for 20 years, their success rate is something like 90%. Yep. Now, it should be understood that it's when people leave that, they, they leave that facility, 
they can, if they go back to their old way of life, they will fall back into addiction. So a lot has changed. It has to change. It can't just be taking the aboga. But the aboga what, or the ibogaine, what the ibogaine does is it allows you to get the the uh, the heroin or the, the the need for heroin out of your system without having withdrawals. That's the game changer because most people when they go to uh, to ther- to um, rehab to get off, and I'm just going to use heroin as the example, but in many things. Uh, let's say heroin, the withdrawals are so bad that they have to take heroin or, or some other heroin substitute. So they're never com- they're never going to be completely clean. Um, it's it really is again it is a game changer. Uh, so there are there's a company called Universal Ibogaine that is publicly traded. Uh, it's a very small penny stock. It'll probably be a, po- a small penny stock for a while. Um, it's you know. It, again, it's like an early stage biotech. Sure. You know, they have enough runway for a couple of years. Um, the good thing for about them is they they do have revenue because of their operations in Mexico. Yeah. Um, but these are some of the the companies that you're kinds of companies that you're speculating on in in Greenship or Weekly Score or so. Um, Universal Ibogaine would be more of a, a Weekly Score play yeah. because it's more speculative. Sure. Um, you know, they've done amazing work, and I believe they'll continue to do amazing work, uh, but it only takes one bad one bad recession. It only takes, yep. you know, uh, really just a, a stock that's that thinly traded, too. It's it's it, it's, ve- it's very easy to lose everything sure, on a stock like that. You wouldn't bet the farm on this. No, not right. at all. So let's, let's switch gears uh, to something a little bit less speculative, and we'll talk about solar. Okay. Um, so I know that you have... Uh, Kind of two. There's there's two solar opportunities that uh, I want to talk to you about, and one of these is around kind of this uh, uh, a, an investment that generates consistent income that you were telling me about with solar. Can you can you uh, expand on that? Yeah, tell absolutely. Our readers a little bit more. So there's this company that what they do is they go around the world and they build solar plants, and they get power purchase agreements with the local utilities. Um, which basically, just so people know, power purchase agreement essentially says uh, that the uh, utility will buy X amount of kilowatts. Oops, sorry, X amount of kilowatts from this uh, this power plant at a at a, a set upon price for, and they'll lock it in for fifteen to twenty years. Okay. Um, that way, you know, when the with funds come in or the the angel investor, whoever's going to invest in it comes in, they know that they're locked in for fifteen twenty years. It takes a lot of, a lot of the risk out of it. Um, what this company has done is they get large sources of capital to start building these things, and then they crowdsource the rest of it. So you don't have to be accredited. You come in, you can go in and for as little as $100, and you pick which solar facility you want to invest in. There's a, a community solar project in Brazil. There's one in Connecticut. There's one in Africa. And you can pick it based on the length of time that, that your investment would last or what the uh, internal rate of return, which could run from anywhere from 7 to 15%. Uh, um, like ad, on an annual basis? or So what happens, it's, 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 it's almost like you get a monthly dividend, but you can re, you can take it or you can reinvest it. Okay, at um, any point like is there there's liquidity in these investments or There's liquidity but it's not like instant. Sure, so, I would assume it, it, there is some kind of limitation because there has to be some sort of trade-off. Right. But it, but it's kind of like why it's virtually guaranteed. Yeah. So it's kind of like why would I take a couple of bucks out now if I just set it and forget it? 10, 15 years, I come back, I'm like, oh, there's 50 grand. I forgot about this, yeah. you know. Well, I think especially in today's market, it would be nice to have a little bit of a something that is that close to a guarantee in terms of the, the, what kind of repayment you're going to get? Yeah. Well, I've actually been put really since late last year when I kind of, 
I, I think everyone kind of knew like we were going to be where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really started pushing that one particular specifically because I said, listen, if you have cash, we have to be really, really careful now. This is a very safe place to put your cash. Um, it's a great way to make, you know, monthly income. And some of the higher ones, like to earn 15%, you know, on, a, on just investing a few bucks in a, in a sure. solar project. I mean, yes, there's always there's always risk. I can't say there's no risk. But in terms of, you know, how much risk you're going to you're going to uh, have investing in the stock market versus this. It's it's not even worth discussing, you know. Okay. okay. And for anyone who's watching right now and is actually interested in that opportunity, mm-hmm. where would they go to, to learn more about that? I do have a report. Um, if you can, if you want to put a link. On sure. This. We, we, can, we can definitely leave a, a link in the description. Okay. To, it, a report in where? Which in Greenship or? It's in Greenship. Yeah. Okay. And it basically just describes the company, like what they do, how it works. Um, and th- I think there's a link in there that that shows you, you can actually click the link and just start investing right away. You don't need a broker or anything. It's sure. all done through their portal. Okay. Um, so, and it's all like, you know, completely, it's monitored by the SEC. It's legit. Um, and I, I've done very well with it so far. Okay, great. Let's move on to the next uh, topic, which is uh, solar powered cars. Crazy, um, right? Yeah. So I, <laughs> yeah. So you've been telling me a little bit, a little bit about this, you know, solar car technology. Um, I, is this something that's kind of going to like, you know, dethrone Tesla? Is it going to compete directly with Tesla? Or is it something that you think would coexist? Any number of those. Are, well, I, I don't think it'll dethrone Tesla. Yeah. Um, but here's where Elon Musk messed up. He initially said, I want to integrate solar into the Model 3, which was the supposed to be the affordable version of, of a Tesla. Um, and he couldn't make it work. And the reason he couldn't make it work is because and I, he just basically the way I saw it, and from what I saw the engineers putting out, they were talking about just putting solar on the roof of the car. Well, that's not enough space. And even Musk said that himself. He's like, you're not going to get enough power because it's just a, a roof of a car is not that big. So you're not going to you're not going to pull in enough electrons to power your car from that. If you integrate the solar within the body of the entire car, not only does it charge while you drive but it charges while it sits outside. This company has this solar-powered car that can get up to 40 miles of range on nothing but solar power. Now, 40 miles may not sound like a lot, but more than 70% of the commuting population in the United States drives less than 40 miles per day. Sure. So there's some people who potentially would never actually have to even charge their vehicle. I mean, they are technically charging their vehicle right. just by leaving it outside, but they don't have to plug it in. Exactly. And you, I mean, obviously you can plug it in because the range of the vehicle is 200 miles. Um, so you could you could charge it at home, maybe at night, and then the next day drive your car around, leave it outside. Maybe you have to charge it again in three months or something like yeah. that. So it's, it's definitely interesting to me that kind of, you know, the potential of that kind of car because – uh, I don't have a parking pad, right? I live in the city and I have nowhere to act. Like I'm, I'd be interested in owning an electric vehicle, but practically it doesn't make sense for me to actually own one. So I think right. that, you know, aside from the actual cost of the electricity that you're using like to drive your car and the fact that you would never have to fill it up, uh, there is the fact that there are so many people who just don't have a uh, carport uh, or, you know, anywhere to actually charge their car. And I think that that's a, a huge benefit. And I think it's definitely a market that Tesla is missing. Missing. And it's it's also, if you think about the fact that this this company, this is like the first vehicle they're putting out with these integrated solar panels. 
Well, the first round is never the best. Yeah. So I what's going to happen in three years? Sure. It's going to high, higher efficiencies are going to be in those solar in the integrated solar, which means you're going to get more of a uh, more of a charge from from the sun. Um, and, you know, and it's just as you make the car more aerodynamic. The really cool thing about it is that car only it sell, it's not it'll they'll start selling it this year. It sells for thirty thousand dollars. So it undercuts Tesla is right at the top. Before or after? Isn't there there's some sort of rebate involved? No, no. It's this is before you add any rebates to it. Okay, it's just straight up thirty grand. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's really good. Now it is a small car, so it's not. If you live out in the country and you need to haul wood or something, that's not the vehicle yeah, yeah. for this you. This is a city vehicle. A city vehicle, or maybe the suburbs. If you don't have to drive that far, if you want something bigger, the the Ford F one fifty electric is fantastic. That'll be the the electric vehicle for you. But this this car is really more of a regular commuter car. Now you asked about what the the direction that this company will head in. Like what's going to happen? Will they dethrone Tesla? No, they're not going to dethrone Tesla. Nowhere close. But their technology and the IP that they own is very valuable, and I could easily see them being acquired either by Tesla or maybe another uh, uh, larger automaker. Um, even It could even be a battery company that wants to integrate their batteries. Maybe a new solid-state battery company wants to integrate their batteries with that technology and kind of come with a, with like a full-service um, solution for, for vehicle makers. Okay, and obviously you don't want to re- reveal the name of the company <laughs> here, which is fine. You have, right. you, know, you have paying subscribers. Right. Who, you know, you're giving that information to them. Uh, how can people get access to that information? Uh, that also, if you want to put a link, I have a report on that one as well. Um, just kind of, again, it, it goes through the technology, how it works, um, and of course, you know how you can get access to the name of the of the company. Okay, great. Well, Jeff, that uh, I think we're kind of running out of time here. Okay. But um, you know, for everyone who's watching, if you like the video, you like the content, please click that like button, subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.